I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti Hero's Journey podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10, to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes journeyers out there? Doc Askins coming back at you with another one of these Q5 podcasts that I invented out of nothing. They are five of my favorite questions that I use in my own ketamine-assisted psychotherapy practice. And then without any ketamine involved, I just ask some really cool people the same questions over and over and over again <laughs> so you can compare notes. Rocco has not received any ketamine today, but we're just going to have the interview, right? Uh, man, I've got a treat for you. This is like a bucket list person to have on then do the interview with for me. Been a big fan for years. I've got Vincent Rocco Vargas, who was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, California. Played several years of college baseball and then enlisted into the U.S. Army. He went on to serve three combat deployments with 2nd Battalion of the Elite 75th Ranger Regiment. After four years of active duty service to this country, I joined. he joined the U.S. Army Reserves and continued his service until retirement. In 2009, he became a federal agent with the Department of Homeland Security's Border Patrol, and he was a medic with the Special Operations Group. He's currently an entrepreneur, an actor, a writer, an author, a producer. You you might have seen him in the Mayans playing Gilly. You might have seen him. You did like a kid's movie, didn't you? Rocco, did you do like a, a movie? I saw something where you were in an orange jumpsuit uh, with a little kid reading a story. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That one's called Lucy Shimmers and the Prince of Peace. Yes, that's the name of it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You might have seen him all over the place. You could have seen him anywhere doing Range 15, <laughs> whole bunch of crazy stuff, man. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, brother. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So what I usually do is just go rock and roll with uh, question number one. What's your story told your way? My story? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, you know, I'm just going to do it the fastest way. Uh, No, man, take your time. Tell it as long as you want, brother. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's see. Born in Los Angeles, California, in a time where gangs are very prevalent. It's a culture that my family was very familiar with. My father you know, he grew up kind of in the street and he joined a gang and got in trouble at a young age and eventually had to join the military instead of going to jail, right? My mother was a very poor Mexican in the border of El Paso, and she was tired of kind of the same old thing. They used to, you know, they were migrants. They, they, they'd pick fruit and vegetables to, to you know, to, to make way. And as you got older, you kind of found yourself to do like cannery work or, or the, you know, any kind of like the common stay in the neighborhood and die in the neighborhood kind of thing. And she wanted something different. So she, uh, she moved herself to LA. And so we, uh, eventually my family kind of 
called home the San Fernando Valley. And the big thing was stay invested in sports as much as possible. My father became a firefighter when I was four. And, you know, I saw life very change, you know, our socioeconomic kind of position and life changed a lot. We went from a, a two-bedroom house to, you know, a four-bedroom house. Things definitely changed dramatically in the sense of the street wasn't uh, a dangerous street. It was kind of in a suburbs in the in the city of San Fernando, but still surrounded by, you know, your Latino gangs here and there if you go down the wrong place. And so we played sports. You know, our family's heavily indebted with sports, and that's what kind of kept me out of it. But just because you grow up there, you see it, you know, it's not it's – not, foreign territory you you know who's in gangs and you know you have friends who get involved in that at an early age and and sometimes you lose friends to that as well and so me playing baseball was a way to kind of stay out of it as well as kind of find something to to be driven towards you know i uh, eventually went to college and played at junior college i was a pitcher and outfielder mainly i was an outfielder and a good hitter right? i used to drop bombs <laughs> As I got nice. as I got older, I started hitting a lot of home runs. Yeah, when I got into like when I started 18, 19, 20, I started hitting really well. Yeah, nice. But yeah, I was an outfielder. But I'm a left-handed pitcher too, so that's kind of why oh. I pitched it. Left-handed, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're tricky. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up getting a scholarship <laughs> to a school in Kentucky. I was in uh yeah. Owensboro, Kentucky, Brescia University. That's a so, Catholic university, right? It is, it is, yeah. One of my teachers was Sister Rose Jean. She did not like me. <laughs> <laughs> the nuns are strict. They were strict. Yeah. And there was a guy named Father Alvi. It was a different environment for me, but, you know, I didn't want to deny a full ride scholarship. Yeah. It was cool. So after, uh, you know, I lost a full ride because just academics wasn't my strong suit. I was dyslexic and, you know, I never really seeked help for that. Just kind of fumbled my way through school. So I joined the military. You know, I joined the military because I needed something to pay for my daughter who was just recently born. I needed something to pursue after baseball because I lost everything that was like, I was all about baseball and I lost it all. And I wanted to make my family proud. You know, I, w I wanted to challenge myself. So I joined the, you know, 75th Ranger Regiment. I had an option 40 contract, which means uh, I have the option to, to, as long as I keep going through the pipeline, and don't quit or don't fail, I can get into a Ranger Regiment. And I was fortunate enough to get to 2nd Ranger Battalion. My time in Battalion, I had three deployments, learned a lot about myself. And I wanted to get out as fast as I got in because I wanted to try and pursue <laughs> other things outside of the military. <laughs> Going fast either way, fast in, fast yeah. out. That's the Ranger way, right? Yeah, I was like, all right, this is, this is cool, but I'm ready to get the fuck out. You know? <laughs> Check those blocks, moving uh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, I stayed in the reserves just until I just re retired recently, 18 years. I got medically retired really only because I couldn't, I couldn't maintain the career field and do well at it. I was, I've been, I've been an E8 promotable for like seven years or six years. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just hanging out. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, were a drill I, instructor I too, right? Yeah. 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 I was in the reserves. I was a drill instructor. And then I, I did a, a couple of years as a psychological operations NCO. And then I got forced promoted back into a drill sergeant unit. So. Oh yeah. That's crazy from that's different psyops. That's like internal psyops and then external psyops, the drill instructor versus actual psyops, right? Like yeah, you're just messing with yeah. people's minds all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I loved it. I love, I loved, I loved all of it, you know, but when, when the Hollywood scene kind of got busy for me, I couldn't kind of maintain a good solid performance in the career field. So I, I just asked to, 
push the paperwork for my medical retirement. But yeah, after active duty, I just served, you know, my, my goal was to, to, I had three kids at the time. I was working on my fourth, you know, I just wanted to make money for the family. The only thing I could think of was service. So I was a corrections officer for two years and then I became a board patrol agent in 2009 and I served there for seven years. It was just under seven years before I started pursuing Hollywood. And, you know, that's kind of where my story is now is I'm a Hollywood actor slash writer and author businessman and anything yeah. else I can do to help people. <laughs> just just living the dream, man. That's awesome. Like you just published a book about your time in Border Patrol, Borderline. I read it right when it came out. Loved every page, man. It was an outstanding story. It's it's timely. It's uh and it's well written. Any anybody that's listening to me and my bullshit should pick up this book as soon as possible and give it a read. Like it's a hot topic and it's told well. There are analogies that help it make sense to people. You know, like the protect this house sort of analogy is something people can understand, right? Like it's complicated and it's complex and there's a lot going on at the border. And I think just between your experience being there and then your ability to articulate a bunch of that stuff meaningfully, the book deserves a wide readership for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me more about like this Hollywood dream though, man. Like that's something there's, you know, millions of people who would want to chase that particular dragon and you managed to like grab it by the tail. How'd that happen? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, <laughs> you know, growing up in LA, it's not uncommon to run into actors and actresses. And so I think when you meet them, it's kind of interesting. You're always like, Oh man, they live here. And, you know? And I think I always thought like, that'd be a really cool career. I would love to be able to do that. And, but I don't know how to right? people. You don't see too many at that time. You didn't see too many, guys from LA actually in Hispanics even doing it, you know, as it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a common path to follow. I started doing theater in college to help with my grades because it was easier to get an A in a theater class. And when I try to do an audition, I remember I'm dyslexic. And at that time, I still didn't have a good grasp on reading. I never really worked on it. I went to an audition and uh, I, I couldn't read really the page in a fast way, in a smooth way that sounded any way like acting. I kind of, you know, I stumbled <laughs> yeah, through yeah. it and okay. I was so embarrassed. I remember I was sweating like beads of sweat just out of the anxiety and the, and the fucking embarrassment of this 20-year-old kid who couldn't read or 19-year-old kid. I just walked out. You know, I was like, nah, fuck this. It's not for me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I never forgot about that memory. I never forgot how it made me feel. And it was one of those, I didn't want to get back on the horse. I was too embarrassed to try again. So I just stuck with baseball. Fast forward, by the time my life is going through all these different phases, I find myself in the Border Patrol and I'm living in El Paso, Texas. And my friend, Matt Best, who I was, you know, served with in 2nd Ranger Battalion, he said, bro, you are, you're a funny dude, man. I'd love for you to uh, come do a couple of videos with us. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll knock out a video, whatever. You know, after the first video went viral... You know, we had like 5 million views. We kind of realized like we have a kind of a good system here, you know, and uh, we just kept knocking out videos. It became a thing, right? We became kind of a big wave in the social media space and the veteran space. And as much as I enjoyed all that, I, I went back to my dream of like theater and acting and thought like, maybe I read better now. I know I read better now because I started really pursuing reading better. And so I felt a little bit more confident about like, well, let's take another shot at this. At the same time, we decided we wanted to produce a movie. And so we we, we put all the funds together. We, we got a script made and we produced this movie. 
And as we're doing it, I remember being in LA and it sounds easy. It's not, it was more complex than that. I know, right. Yeah. We're just going to do a zombie movie for, yeah. Like we wrote it and then we shot it and that was it, man. Like, how'd you get to Hollywood? Like I just shot a video. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I produced a film first. And and so when we were able to really accomplish that, the first day on set, I was in the van and we're all getting ready to drive to set. And uh, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I guess I made a point to figure out how to do that. And uh, I just kept pursuing it. And uh, here we are. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Several movies and a TV series and all of that <laughs> stuff later. Yeah. Bingo. Nice. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. I remember watching the old like Art 15 videos and all of that, like when it was going viral, like making fun of CrossFitters and making fun of different branches <laughs> and all of that sort of yep. stuff. Yeah. I almost wore like my old Doc Ranger Up t-shirt. It's got all these holes in it and all of that sort of stuff. You know, bought that thing decades ago, it feels like. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Just following along with your story. Yeah. So I ask people about their story and their background to get some about memory. Whenever I'm doing, you know, ketamine assisted therapy with folks, we go through their story as like a narrative rehearsal because we're trying to stitch together the good times, the bad times, and just make sense out of your life. So it's a past oriented question. Then I'll ask a question about the future and about imagination. So like, what are your intentions going forward from here? Yeah, man, it's something I think about often, you know, kind of pivoting my life from being a physical person, right? Physically, I was good at sports. Physically, I was good in the military because of my physical attributes, really. And then in the Border Patrol, the same. I was physically, everything I did in that job was about my physical skill sets. And then turning to using my mind now and being a creative with with my vision and my, my ideologies and how to create stories that are one timeless too, but that are influential and, and have impacts. And so it's kind of like the mission for me now is, is creating positive impacts in, in our society and through messaging, through, through networking, you know? And so, you know, and I wrote that book, the full intention of it was to help the border patrol, well, whether it help with the recruiting or help with people who don't understand the career field. And I knew that I could articulate it in a way that, that was digestible for the average person. Right. And so, you know, that, that book is just one representation of what I'm trying to do. You know, I've written several films for Hollywood that we're hoping to get made. And some of them are just entertainment and some of them have a powerful underlining message, you know, that, that that's important. You know, one of those stories I've written and we're working on selling right now, it's called Mexican and it's loosely based on my wife and me. I was raised Mexican and my wife is, is Puerto Rican, but I'm half oh, no Puerto way. Rican. I just did. Nice. Yeah. yeah. My wife's Puerto Rican, half Puerto Rican too. Yeah. Yeah. Really? She's yeah, awesome. Yeah. 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 Anyway, sorry. Yeah, my, <laughs> No, you're good. Yeah. My wife is a hundred percent Puerto Rican and I'm half, but I was raised Mexican. And so I've learned a lot about my own Puerto Rican culture and then reading books, right? I have a book here. That's, I would recommend it. I would recommend, I'd recommend it to your wife. It's called, you know, the war against all Puerto Ricans, but to learn, to learn, a lot about my culture that, you know, I just didn't understand growing up because I grew up in a Mexican heavy LA, you know? (laughs) Right, right. And so as I started to learn both of the cultures, I found it fascinating that they're so similar, you know, and just for an example, you know, they're, they're, they're all the Latin cultures. They're, they're so gorgeous and beautiful in how, how they, you know, their traditions, and they're all very rooted on the same thing. It's music, it's family, and it's good food, right? You know, and those, those three things are really the pinnacle of what they stand for. 
And so like during Christmas as a kid, I remember my mother, my grandmother, my sisters, my cousins, all females would be in the kitchen in a kind of an assembly line manner making tamales, right? And tamales are yeah, made from like a corn husk and the cornmeal and then, and everything. And then in recent recent years, you know, watching my my wife's family just this two weeks ago, Puerto Ricans do a thing that's exactly the same, but with different ingredients. Right. And yeah. It's called it's called pasteles. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. 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 And pasteles are made with instead of the corn husk, it's with a banana leaf. And instead of the 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 masa with the corn, it's actually the masa made from plantains, some platanos. And so so it is the exact same fundamentally it's the same, the same recipe meal. right yeah 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 we go over to my yeah. wife's best friend's house and we do the banana leaf thing and all of that stuff periodically it's super yeah. fun man yeah yeah and it's it's fascinating that you know when you're younger if i call the mexican a puerto rican he'd be like i'm not fucking mexican i'm not you know i'm not puerto rican <laughs> right yeah, yeah. Puerto rican, mexican. yeah all like, the I'm lines not. are like important yeah a real big difference yeah. right yeah 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 and, and totally understand like wanting to be proud of your own culture but if they took a step back and say man we're so similar and which is what makes it gorgeous yeah. to me is yeah, what makes yeah. it beautiful and so I wrote a script about that and really the underlying message is, is as much as we want to kind of seclude ourselves and say we're different, we're, we're fundamentally very, very similar. And that's the gorgeous thing about, you know, being Latino in America. I think it's, it's a complex thing being Latino in America when we have this border issue, right? And trying to understand what part of me do I assimilate to America and what part of me do I hold on to for culture? And I find that uh, to be the the topic of where I'm headed towards trying to articulate that in a way that's digestible as well next yeah so you want to you want to be kind of a unifier if i'm understanding you correctly absolutely <laughs> that's yeah that's exactly it man thanks for putting a word to it because i get frustrated with you know all this you know we're, we're so divided right now through politically political positions and we're so divided by ideologies that you know if we're we're all human and i think they forget that because we're mostly invested in arguments that we shouldn't be yeah yeah, it's like uh, Sebastian Younger wrote the book Tribe about, you know, veterans coming home a, and not yeah. having a tribe, right? There's all these different tribes, but like if you really get to the inside of each one of them, then you start to see how similar they are. You go to the next tribe over and they don't like this tribe and it's like, but they're the same as you. Like they think the same <laughs> things over there. Just spend a little time with them. Like just sit down and eat some of this good food and maybe we'd all be friends, you know? Yeah, it's funny how we do that. You know, I always, I, I when that book came out, I read it and- you know, everyone else in our community did. And everyone's like, I need my tribe. And then, then I was like, and I was like, hold up, like, don't just go read a book and feel like you need your <laughs> tribe. Like, you know, right, because right. like, yeah. like, for me, it's like, yeah, we need our community. And I think, I think human connection is so valuable, but it's funny is like, sometimes your tribe is what's fucking you up <laughs> right? <laughs> because you right. chose the wrong tribe. Right. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and tribal warfare goes as far back <laughs> as anybody can remember, right? Like my tribe versus your tribe. We're so different. Right. Let's fight over some yeah. dumb shit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we have like 20 unhealthy motherfuckers is not a healthy tribe. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me and a bunch of alcoholics, we're going to solve all the yeah. problems or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Okay. Yeah. Great. So yeah. that's why I'm, I'm, like the retreats I do, you know, I, I explain that to them as well as like, dude, who I was and who I am now, you know, in the past just seven years, let's just say seven, because that's where I've married my wife and a lot of things in my life is kind of pivoted. You know, I'm not the same man as I was seven years ago. I have completely changed where actually my tribe has probably 
changed multiple times as well because I'm in a di- I, I'm moving myself in a direction of wellness and healing. And if you're not in that same boat, well, then we really don't have a lot to communicate with anymore. And and it's okay, like it's not bad. But I've grown in a different direction than than some of my friends, and that's fine. But like I I don't really think about how they felt about it because the most important part is how my wife and my kids felt about that. And if it was the best choice for them, well then so be it. And so I've kind of, you know, I've kind of moved to the position of like really focusing on me first and and you as a medic, you know, my whole concept as a medic is, you know, self-aid buddy aid. I'm still focused on self-aid, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. Mean? Yeah. You got to pack your own ruck before you can go help somebody else out. You can't just have your shit all over the place in a yard sale and be packing somebody else's stuff up for them, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. So you mentioned the the retreat stuff that you're doing. We we've talked offline just a little bit about that, but I'm super curious to hear a whole bunch more if you'd be willing to open up and expand on that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like uh in the past, I don't know, man, 10, 13 years or so, I've been working with veterans and in, in who struggle with transition and you know, even the, and for a long time I was struggling myself, so I thought, "Hey, I could just help you," you know. And I've learned a lot about that. I've learned a lot about like I was avoiding healing myself while I was helping others heal themselves. You know, I was I myself was guarding myself from facing my own traumas by helping others, and I I thought I was providing service and it was valuable, but you know, when it comes down to it, I myself was still very unhealthy. And so, in my path of finding different modalities of healing and and attempting to try as many things as possible to see how I can really break down a lot of this this deep trauma that I've been kind of harboring for years, I did EMDR. Okay. And that was like the, the first opening the door of like, oh, and that helped a lot with the, my sleeping. I had uh, some dreams I was having from a situation overseas that was, uh, you know, that had some collateral damage of, you know, I guess essentially you would say innocent people were killed. And I uh, was haunted by the idea of it, almost the, the moral injury, the, no, yes. the more I learned more, yeah, the moral yeah, injury yeah, yeah. of that was in question. And so I didn't sleep very well for a while. And as I was able to do EMDR and s- subdue that memory, I knew there was something that could fix more. And so I pursued, I pursued a lot of things. I've done you know, I haven't done ketamine yet. That's that's something on my list that I want to do, right? I want to do ayahuasca. I want to do I want to do the whole psychedelic space. But I've done I've done a lot of other things from I've done stem cell treatments, I've done traumatic brain injury therapies, I've done the Wim Hof therapy, I've done other plant medicine non-psychedelic modalities. I've done man, the list goes on and on of the multiple different things I've done. I've done theater for theater acting, which has actually been very valuable for my my life. I've done a long list of things and I continue to try and do those. And what I've done throughout the years is I've found what those therapeutic values have brought to the table and I've been able to kind of write about them and think about them and talk about them. And so long answer, but I'm going to give you everything. And so because of all that and because of my time in the military and being someone who writes, I've been able to develop SOPs for training. I've been able to – I created an SOP for a retreat that I felt would be a good – toe in the water experience for men who might not necessarily want to take that first step 
and to get them to see the different areas of modalities that they can venture into and maybe pursue even further. And so I created this space for men to just come out and experience. And for the one that uh, the video I showed you, we did Hape, Sanangra, and, and Combo in one session. And those are those are non psychedelic, you know, medicines. Come from an amphibian, if I understood yes. right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 Not like the poison arrow frog and not the Sonoran desert toad, none of the psychedelic or like deadly sorts of things, but right, some other exactly. you know, yeah, yeah. But they still have a powerful compound effect that can generate emotions. Right. And it's an experience as well. Your experience with your brothers and the unknown of what's gonna happen is kind of the fun part of the camaraderie that that's built, right? And, and so they go through that. And then while they were going through that, the other half was learning Wim Hof method. They rotated. And then after that, we had Chow. And then from there, we went to talk about moral injury. We had Matt Larson, who showed up to speak about moral injury. Someone great you should have on your podcast. We're trying to shift perspectives because in, in, in what I've learned throughout the years is like we are, we are what we believe, right? And so these perspectives of victimization has been able – that's what's been haunting a lot of men, these – perspectives that are doom and gloom that are negative right and so i focus more on like the positive psychology as well as the implementation of 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 new i guess methods or a new approach to to seeing the way the world works and so we also brought in a speaker who talked about stoicism right and that's another i'll, I'll connect with him he's a great veteran who who speaks on stoicism and, and fascinating and we continue to bring different thought leaders in their space to hopefully shift the narratives and thought process in these individuals who show up feeling a type of way. They're not 100%. They're not achieving life the way they want to. And so I create an environment that brings the thought leaders in my world who've been impacted in my life to them. And so that's what a weekend at the Light Diffuse Retreat will provide for them. You know, and, and there's more to this. So, so you as a, de- uh, as a medic or you know, as a doc would understand this. I do a baseline evaluation on them. So we do a, an assessment tool that identifies really where they're at mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and, and professionally. We also run blood work to see where they are hormonally. So see if they have low T. And so those two things, they show up and we already have that answer. So by the time they leave, we can connect them with a doctor that can help with their hormones if they have low T. And then we have them do an out processing so we can identify if anything this weekend actually was of value. And so we leave with a really a good assessment of how powerful this weekend was. And, and the, the outliner of this whole thing that I never expected was the camaraderie. It really yeah. was the human connection. That, w- that really made the weekend yeah more than just show up and try things it made the weekend like i was like oh i did not see that coming because i I don't think like that i just thought like this method this method this method here's all the methods we're going to learn this weekend and and let's just enjoy our time and it was really the the brotherhood that weekend of everyone sharing their story and all of us feeling like oh we're not alone we're all in this together and so it was a really beautiful weekend of of just sharing and experiencing Nice. That's awesome, man. Yeah. We're going to have to talk offline because what you're doing already, there'd be some real easy ways to supercharge some of that stuff and add a lot of value without adding any overhead to what you're already doing. But like getting some better blood work in there and getting some, you know, high speed docs that that know a bit more about genetics and some of that sort of stuff. That's kind of my background. I think we could really turn this thing up That'd to 11. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love that. Yeah. No extra lift, a whole bunch of extra help. What, what, what's the loss, right? <laughs> so, you know? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 That'd be awesome, man. I love that. Yeah. And you've done, you've done one retreat so far. Or you've done several of these. Well, we have a, that same group is part of a light diffuse. I have a light diffuse accountability group. And so every Wednesday night we have live calls 
And so they're, they're part of that program. We've started them early on in the same thing. We did their blood work. We did their assessments. And, we, and essentially in that group, everyone kind of identifies what their, you know, their five goals for the year are. One of them is like a very challenging goal, but the four pretty are, are attainable. And so we, we really make sure that they're achieving these goals on their own by pursuing, by pushing, by, by being accountability partners to them, but as well as giving them a room to share. You know, we all, we all talk about our, our things that are going on in life and how do we overcome them. And, and it's just that part, that half of the group that was there was part of this group for the first year and so i have that continues happening we have another retreat coming up in april potentially another one in march and so we're, we're locking down dates you know it's, things are not cheap and so we we really use that first one to kind of create the the shell of how we approach to do another one and several organizations came to me already i just been really busy so once we we <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know once we fine-tune it <laughs> all then we'll be able to have <laughs> yeah we'll have a lot more nice yeah yeah, count me in for whatever uh, that's worth. I'll I'll do my part. Like, was it space starship troopers? I'm doing my part. You know, like yeah. <laughs> that whole part. Yeah. Well, cool. So that's plenty of intentions, right? So I ask people about the past and their memories and their story. And then I ask them about their imagination and the future and where they want to go. And then the way that I try to bring things into the present moment to the to the now is through gratefulness. So given all of your story and all of your intentions, what are you grateful for? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm grateful that my my parents. You know, this topic comes up so much right now because the book is out. There's a lot of scrutiny on on if you're you know a Latino American, you know, or, or you know Latinx is what they call it now. But I I don't know either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, that's controversial. Yeah. Every time you change yeah, something, that, yeah. it's going to be controversial, and then it settles <laughs> yeah. in, and then you change it to something else, right? right. Yeah. So the, the there's a there's a side of the Hispanic community that hates everything I do because. I don't have the same ideology as them. And it, it really, I don't understand their ideology, but I don't shit on them for it. It's just like, okay. But I'll say what I'm grateful for is having parents who have never led me to feel like I should be a victim. Mm. Parents who have never taught me anything to do with racism. You know, I was born in LA, the melting pot, and I'd never heard a thing of racism from my parents' mouths ever. I've never heard my mom blame the government for why we couldn't afford food. I never heard my dad blame anyone for anything. My dad was not a man who would mentor me, but he would just put his head down and work his fucking ass off. My mother was a woman who would always, even if we couldn't afford it, found a way to make us a dessert. You know what I mean? Like these really beautiful things in our house that I was like, and so I'm grateful to have these two parents who saw the world the way they did and didn't give me a perspective that made me feel like a victim. But on the flip side, they made me feel that I could accomplish anything. And so that foundation alone is why I'm in the position I am right now and why, you know, I've accomplished everything I have in my life is I've never seen a boundary and I never will. And I hope that my, I hope that I've done a good job and doing that for my own kids, because I think that's, what's given me this, this motivation to like, Oh, I can do that. I can do that. And so I'm grateful for them first. Secondly, I'm grateful for my wife, you know, ever since uh, we've met and, you know, we've, we've been together and raised our family a lot of, I mean, everything great in my life has been manifested because of her belief in me. I think sometimes men lose self-confidence through, through divorce and breakup. And I gained a lot from a woman who just believed I could do everything I do. And, you know, the flip side to that is like when you accomplish something really cool, like you write a fucking book and it's in Barnes and Noble. I say, babe, I got a book in Barnes and Noble. And, and yeah, she put goes, the toilet seat down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she goes, yeah, I, I, I know, you, you know, I expect that. And I'm yeah, like, of course. Oh, 
when's the sequel okay. coming out? Yeah. yeah, you know, like what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you done for yeah. me lately, Barnes and Noble? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny it's a beautiful thing. thing. Where, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. It is right to yeah. just be like, human with someone like that. Yeah. yeah. And she doesn't, she, she expects me to do the greatest things ever. If I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And none of it's, none of it catches her by surprise. She's like, oh yeah, I thought so. (laughs) We're going to take over the world. Have fun storming the (laughs) castle. Okay. Yeah. 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 My wife's the same way, dude. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything without her. She's the best person I've ever met in my entire life, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So grateful for family is how it sounds like, Absolutely. like across generations. Yeah. For you. Yeah. You know, and the kids are, are always going to be a motivation, right? The kids are always going to be that beacon of trying to always do the right thing at the right time because the kids might be watching, you know, as well as leading from the front, leading by example, what was ingrained in me as a ranger, you know, in my own household. And so that to me is, you know, I, I appreciate them for, for just being in my life and giving me that extra push when needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. So with all of your story and all of your intentions and all that gratefulness, what are you creating? Ah, funny. So part of the light, the fuse thing, we have a term called we are the light. And I feel like I'm creating a ripple effect of change in, in ideology. I've been, I created the company called Betterin. I created light, the fuse and through my writing and through my education, finishing up my master's in psychology currently. At the same time, I'm working on another bachelor's, you know, working on another bachelor's in Homeland Security. Good and for you, I'll man. Be, That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. But all of it, the mission is to teach positive psychology, teach people how to, that their perspective is their reality, you know, and to, to hopefully make an impact in the world like the term, we are the light, because I think if we can continue to teach others to believe that we can be the light in a dark place, we can be the push for positivity in the world. And I think there needs to be more focus on the positive psychology and our messaging and on the way we communicate. Yeah, agreed. So that, that, that's what I'm trying to create. Yeah. For those who don't know positive psychology, the history of psychology is very focused on pathologizing, trying to find something wrong with somebody, diagnosing it appropriately, and then giving them the right pill or the right talk therapy that matches up with that. And positive psychology flips the coin a little bit and starts to say, hey, what's right about you and how do we maximize what's going on that's useful? What are the ways that in my clinics, we have an acronym that we call SHOT, Stabilize, Heal, Optimize, and Thrive. And stabilization might look like somebody coming in 10 out of 10 suicidal and we just do everything we need to do to keep that person alive. On the other end of the spectrum, a lot of the same tools can help somebody thrive whenever they get to a place where they've already healed enough and they've optimized their sleep and their nutrition and their exercise plan and they're all the things you know it's a percentages game with mental health there's no silver bullet but everything moves the needle a little bit and you get them to that place where they can start thriving and then they become the light we are the light it's a lot of the same tools but it's just a different stage in that person's game so positive psychology is a lot more about optimizing and thriving in life yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing but it's all along a spectrum right Right. And so also think about because of my expertise in like digital media and communications through, you know, the psychological operations world, positive psychology is valuable through digital media and digital influence as well as how we communicate. And so how we use our messages provides a positive or negative kind of message. So things like 
22 a day is a negative, right? Because we're highlighting suicide. But veteran is a positive because it's a positive look on a veteran. And so not saying like any other reasons why I created veteran, but the point is why we why we created the the light the fuse is because we we mitigate suicide by identifying the 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 potential threats that lead to suicide and not so much focus on the outcome of like, oh my God, they committed suicide, donate more money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So instead it's like, it's like, no, I have a nonprofit that pays people to go to modalities of healing like yours. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. The the nonprofit is called Small Battalion. The goal is just to write checks to people who do modalities of healing so I can pay for veterans to go to you and get healed. And so if you focus on the precursors and identifiers that would mitigate the trauma, well, then now you're actually trying to fix an issue and not waiting for the outcome to happen and then feel bad about it. And so the positive psychology for me comes down to the communication aspect of how we use our words and how we create and manifest new things in the future, such as books, such as movies and television. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know you were working on uh, your master's in psychology. You may already be familiar with this, but if you're not, you need to look into what's called the Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality, CAMS, by uh, Dr. David Jobes and his team have put it together. It's probably the best approach just as a manualized therapy to suicidality as an intervention. It's all finding the drivers and turning those drivers into reasons to live instead of reasons to die. It's brilliant stuff. Oh, that's great. Send me a text later with that. Yeah, I will. Massachusetts General Hospital is doing a clinical trial right now combining CAMS with ketamine-assisted therapy. CAMS usually takes three months. We've been doing this in like our clinics for a while now, and it usually takes more like two or three weeks to get somebody stabilized and like ready to rock and roll and wanting to live. It's it's going to be like the cutting edge of treating suicidality like on the boots on the ground level. Like this is what needs to get out there as, as far and wide as possible. Yeah. My personal slash professional opinion. No, no you, you have that professional opinion. That's great. I love that because there's a, there's a, a, a white paper study out there called Suicide Contagion. And it talks about how like, it's like how film and television has been able to like during a, there was a TV show that released called 13 Reasons Why. And it talks about suicide. And during the time that that show that was on its peak of viewership, suicides went up, right? Because it started, it's the, the, the suicide ideology. People are like, oh yeah, well, you know, you start giving people the answer for when they, when they, when they didn't need that answer, right? When they're vulnerable, the most vulnerable, but the same is that the suicide prevention programs in the military and the army actually created more suicide. Right. And yeah, yeah. Well, it's IDF. It's the Israeli defense force is the ones who are on the cutting edge of all of that stuff. Like the screening tools that they're using and the way that they approach all that stuff is what we ought to be doing here in the States, I think. Really? Really? I mean, I'm interested. I'm fascinated to learn more about that. Yeah. There's a couple studies. Like I'll text you a bunch of this stuff, man, if you're interested. Like they, they they do, they're on the cutting edge of everything because they've been at war since 1948 or whatever. Like they're figuring out how to survive as a society. So, and mental health care too, for like their troops, they're, they're leading the way. They, they were a center. There was a center in Israel for MDMA assisted therapy for PTSD as a part of the MAPS trials. Like they're, they're at ground zero for a lot of really, really beautiful, really, really good work and mental health for sure. It's funny how we're so late to to the game in this twenty something years of war, two decades of war, and we're still barely trying to find the answer to this. Like, how frustrating yeah. is that shit? Yeah, we're still giving Prozac out, and we came out with Prozac in like the nineties, man, or whatever. Like, we gotta we got we gotta pick up the pace here. <laughs> we gotta I do know. better. We gotta be veterans. Jeez. Yeah, like you're you're yeah. you get it. You know, like you know, yeah, yeah, like you're the guy, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure out a whole bunch of ways to save the world together or whatever. Absolutely. What question was I on? So that was the fourth question. We come around to the fifth and final question, which is my favorite and everybody's favorite. It's the identity question. Who are you really, Vincent Rocco Vargas? That's good. That's good. You know, I love this because I talk about this often. 
you know, the identity. I, so there's a quote I, I created or I say, I, I, I don't know how you say, like, I, I'm the one who came up with it. Uh, <laughs> Allow me to quote myself on this subject. Yeah, let me mm. quote myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're, we're, we are not the titles we chase, but the hard work it took to get there. And so it took me a long time to understand that. And so I'm not an army ranger. I am not a drill sergeant. I am not an actor. I am not a college baseball player. I'm the hard work it took to get there. And so when I use that idea, it's like I'm whatever the fuck I want to be. I just have to focus on putting hard work towards that mission. And so in the end of the day, I feel like I'm a disruptor because I like to think outside the box and try and create ways of helping through not following the same thing we always do. And, you know, and I think the driving force and driving factor for all of it is I'm a father and a husband, so I'm a family man. So my, me being a family man and wanting to be the best, you know, I guess the best person for my kids to look up to and hopefully to want to surpass, right? It has pushed me to try and be the best human being for society as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful stuff. A disruptor and a dad. <laughs> That's what I'm taking away from that. Yeah. yeah. Dis- yeah. Disruptive dad. That's definitely me too, for sure. Like <laughs> yeah. I get myself into trouble on that home front all the time. Yeah. Well, you got any final thoughts that you'd want to share with the audience or anything else that you want to talk about? That's the five questions, man, but you can talk about anything you want. No, man, it's good. You know, I think, you know, the book is just one book of many things I'm writing and I'm really proud of it. So I would love for people to go pick that up if they're curious about the subject. But besides that, we have the Vinnie Rock podcast where I interview people that I find interesting or have a, some kind of story to tell. We also have, you know, the the nonprofit Tomorrow Battalion that is, again, we write checks to veterans and, and first responders to get the help they need. That's it. You know, out here just trying to save the world like you. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'll get links to all of that stuff and throw it in the description for the show that for anybody that wants to go find the book and the nonprofit and the podcast and the, and the, and the, and the, I'll find all the links and we'll throw them in there and everybody can check them out. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on here today, brother. I, I really appreciated the conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Doc out. <laughs>